0: Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood. It's story time. It is Story Saturday, and it's been a heck of a week for me. Uh, but yet, I am getting Story Saturday done on time because some weeks that's how I roll. <laughs> so, as you know, sometimes I'm just not able to do it just because of stuff. But this time I was. I actually uh, was out of town for three days this week. I think I mentioned that in the last week. I uh, flew to DC. My my uncle, who was a Army veteran. He passed away about a year and a half ago, and he wanted a military funeral in Arlington. And it took them a year and a half to get that squared away and scheduled. And so this week we had the, the thing there. And um, yeah, I grew up near DC and had visited Arlington, at least the Unknown Soldier, soldier Tomb, uh, once when I was a kid, but it's been ages. Even though I was stationed there and at the Pentagon. And I ran the Marine Corps Marathon near there, and I've been past it a billion times, but haven't gone in it in like ages, long, long enough that I didn't even remember I'd ever been there until after I was thinking, about, thinking back on it afterwards. I was like, man, that is a beautiful place, impressive place. And uh, the Army put on a really great um, uh, ceremony for him, and I had never actually been to a actual military funeral before. I've uh, seen them on videos and stuff. I've never actually gone to one. Done a lot of military ceremonies, but never that one before. And I uh was very impressed and uh very uh moved by how well they did it. And uh my aunt uh was just gushing the whole time and uh it was a good time with this family, even though it was a sad time, it was still a good time. I saw some people I haven't seen in a while. But I was anyway. But I was away for three days, and normally when I'm out of the pocket for three days, it's really hard to catch up and get everything I need to get done for the week, for writing and publishing done. But I've managed to do this week. It is Saturday. Last night, Friday, I recorded the audio for the story we're going to re- re- story we're going to read today, and we're gonna put it up here in just a second. This is story number forty-two from Stories from the Great Challenge. It is a story called Drilling for Gold. It's a science fiction story, science fiction crime slash heist slash crime story. But uh, I'll tell you how I came up with the idea of it uh, after we get through it. But I rather like it. Other people do too. I think you will as well. So sit back, enjoy. I wrote it. I'm reading it. Have fun. Autonomous Drilling Unit 7 detected an overspeed condition on one of its drill-motor drivetrains. Motor number 6 was approaching the upper limit of its allowed operational speed band, and the maneuvering speed sensor flashed an alert. This prompted a series of diagnostic algorithms, which ADU-7 performed in the background while it continued to monitor the status of the rest of its systems. Drill motors 1 through 5 and 7 through 10 were operating normally, Speed, the oil return temperature, current draw, and bearing temperature readings all in the normal band. Primary drive engine output was only at 64%, and forward velocity 2.4 meters per minute. Below optimal speed to reach the objective on time, but to be expected, as external mineral analyzers located in 10 locations around ADU 7's drilling cone had tasted iron starting 45 minutes earlier. It previously had been passing through limestone, which was a much easier material to penetrate and had gained significant time on its schedule, so there was little risk of violating mission parameters. The diagnostic algorithms completed and the results appeared in ADU-7's primary access memory for review. Prediction of drive shaft shear on drill motor number 6 within 0.36 hours, probability 72%. Drive motor number 6 was located just below the center of ADU's drill cone, Additional algorithms activated computed anticipated reduction in drilling rate from loss of capacity on drive motor number 6. Results came back in microseconds. Predicted loss of 0.4 meters per minute. Odds of reaching programmed destination on schedule reduced by 27.8%. ADU-7 checked mission parameters and found the new results outside of acceptable criteria, so it sent a message to its customer interface unit, four and a half kilometers behind, at the beginning of the tunnel ADU-7 had been drilling. What's up, Adu? The human, Yanish, the one who was on watch at this time, pronounced it Adu instead of the proper pronunciation of A-D-U. Not for the first time, ADU-7 restrained itself from issuing a correction. It had tried, and failed, to impress upon its current customers the importance of etiquette many times already. Predicted failure of number six drill motor resulting in failure to meet mission schedule. Initiating shutdown and drill retraction, estimated repair time, 26 minutes. The human took a small eternity to process this, 0.78 seconds. Shit. Do you have the spare parts on board for the job? ADU7 had run a check of internal stores as part of the diagnostic algorithm check. Affirmative. No customer assistance required. How will that affect the schedule? Probability of meeting scheduled post-repair is within acceptable mission parameters. Okay. The long pause suggested Yanish didn't know all the parameters in question. Unsurprising. Let us know if you need anything. Affirmative. ADU-7 secured the conversation with its customer and focused on completing the drill shutdown procedure while a subroutine fetched the needed parts from its onboard storage units. After ADU-7's drill motors came to a stop, it reversed its primary drive engine Retreating 6.28 meters back down the drilled out tunnel to ensure the drill hedge pulled free of debris. Then it deployed two repair drones, their sensors and operating systems slaved to ADU 7's repair procedures subprocessor. The drones were designed to be maneuverable in tight clearances, crab like, with collapsible legs and two deployable manipulator arms, one on either side of their forward sensor clusters. It required a significant reallocation of processing resources and a reprioritization of which parameters to monitor continuously and which to update periodically to collate new sensor data from the drones. ADU-7 had protocols in memory for predicted optimal processing and collation arrangement, but it had to evaluate those protocols against actual operating conditions. That took a fair amount of time, 0.012 seconds, after which ADU-7 determined the default protocols would perform acceptably. By then, the drones had obtained the needed repair parts, so ADU-7 deployed them to their required repair positions and got to work. Jordan chewed his menthol tobacco-flavored gum and severely wished it was the real thing. He hadn't chewed the real stuff in ten years, since his older brother had come down with mouth cancer that took his tongue and most of his lower jaw. They hadn't had the money to grow replacements, so he lived with electromechanical prosthetics now. Nowhere near the real thing and life sucked for him as a result. Soon as that happened, Jordan had given up on Chew completely, but he still felt the need for something in his mouth, and he missed the taste of it. Hence the gum, but some days it really was a poor substitute. As he bent over the plastic and metal fold-out table he had set up in the outer room of his crew's little headquarters, in the bottom of a narrow canyon three and a half miles southwest of Miller's Crossing, the center of commerce and government on this part of New Auckland, he felt a hefty craving for some real no-kidding nicotine. His grand plan was all starting to come together, but there were so many variables, so many things that could still go wrong. Damn, he said and closed his eyes for a second, willing himself to focus and be calm. The printout on the table hadn't changed in any of the hundred or more times he had studied it, but now as it was approaching go time he felt the need to stare at it, to hunt for one more wrinkle that he missed that could get them all locked away for a good chunk of the rest of their lives. The printout contained the blueprints for the new Auckland Savings Bank Depository, and not the fake ones on file in the city records office, the real construction blueprints that only a select few got access to. He'd paid good money for a copy, through some very dangerous contacts, but his job needed precision planning and he needed to know exactly where everything in that building was, and in particular, the location and dimensions of the vault in their sub-basement, four stories below the main building. He bent close until his nose was practically touching the paper and traced out each individual line. It was still the same, but he could swear he had missed something. Just nerves, he said, and straightened, but not before a drop of sweat fell onto the blueprint and sat there like an immovable lens, distorting the white line drawn onto the blue background that showed the edge of the vault's wall. Chuckling, Jordan thought for the hundredth time, that they really should have installed an air conditioner in here. It was summertime in the middle of the desert, and it got hot in this little wood-walled cabin he and his crew had built. Oh well, too late now. He turned away from the table just as the bare wooden door to the back room opened, and Yanish stepped through. He was taller than Jordan by an inch and darker of skin, but he was beanpole skinny, so Jordan was pretty sure he had a good ten or fifteen pounds on him. Yanish's thick black hair spilled down his head almost to his shoulders, and his brown eyes normally sparkled with good humor. Right now, though, we've had a development with Adu, Yanish said, wiping his palms on his jeans. He was sweating. The underarms of his t-shirt were notably damp, which was weird considering the back room really was just the entrance to the cave where they'd set up the drilling unit and caves never really got that hot. It had to stop to repair a bad drive motor. Damn it. Jordan turned away from him and stepped over to the front room's lone window, looking out toward the canyon's entrance a third of a mile distant around a bend that was obscured by boulders and scrub brush. How long? Jordan asked. About half an hour to fix. It says we're still within acceptable mission parameters, though. Jordan nodded. Well, that's good. Had me worried there for a minute. He'd had Gregor program the drill to stick to a 98% chance of making the schedule or better. If it said they were still there, no disaster. Yet... Sorry, but I thought you'd want to know. Thanks. He looked back at Janish and raised an eyebrow at him. Holler if anything else happens. If it gets there too late, or if it breaks through before Gregor takes down security, he didn't say the rest. He didn't need to. Sure thing, boss. With the repairs completed, ADU-7 found itself making better progress than it had projected before stopping. A quick analysis of motor current draw versus forward speed showed that drive motor number 6's degradation had affected progress more than ADU-7 had initially detected. Now it revised its scheduled performance predictions and found it would reach programmed end of drilling slightly early. It reduced primary engine power to compensate then went back to monitoring its various system parameters. An alert popped up from ADU-7's customer preferences program. It was to report when 20 minutes away from destination so it sent another message to the customer interface unit. A different human responded. ADU seven recognized its vocal patterns as Shen. Report Unit approaching program destination. Estimated time of arrival twenty point three seven minutes. Stand by. ADU seven had noted that Shen was much less talkative than Yanish. It preferred that more efficient. ADU proceeded destination, acknowledged, then it cut contact with the customer interface unit. 20.24 minutes later, the tip of ADU-7's drill cone penetrated a new material that the mineral analysis registered as man-made concrete. Then the cone emerged into open space. ADU-7 halted and again consulted its customer preferences. It ordered ADU-7 to proceed completely out of its drilled tunnel and turn on its forward-mounted spotlights. It complied. Jordan and his team hurried down the tunnel as soon as Shen relayed the message from ADU. Six men pushing three anti-grav loading pallets between them, making time down the rough, unpaved tunnel with only the illumination provided by headlamps each wore. The anti-grav loading pallets he'd chosen for the job were industrial strength. Painted black and yellow, they looked like normal wheeled dollies with a metal handle and a push bar on one end, a couple of feet above the dolly itself. Except that instead of wheels, they used anti-grav plates to support the weight loaded onto them and had a control pad mounted on the push bar. Much better choice for navigating the tunnel than wheeled units. Still, now that he thought about it, this was an incredibly dangerous and dumb way to handle this part. They should have strung up lights behind ADU as it went or something. I knew I forgot something, he said to himself, and chuckled. If that's all it ended up being, they were home free. It was a bit more than five kilometers to the end of the tunnel, If Jordan had been running in the open, he could cover that distance in about 25 minutes. Going down this tunnel, it took more like 40, which meant ADU would be sitting in the vault for 10 to 20 minutes before his team got there. But Gregor had successfully killed the bank's security feeds, so he had no fear of that gap in time giving the caper away. Still, it pressed him on to greater speed. When they finally emerged from the tunnel into the vault, Jordan's legs were wobbly from exertion, and he was breathing heavily. Sweat streamed down his torso, making his shirt cling to his skin. But none of that mattered, because stepping around the rear of the drill brought the rest of the vault into view. The vault floor, ceiling, and walls were made of poured concrete on three sides and steel on the fourth. The main vault door was round and from this side looked just like a circle of steel set into the rest of the steel of the wall. It was closed up tight. Good. Good. Except that it kept all the dust from ADU's final push-through contained, and it still lingered in the air, smelling of damp and dirt, making Jordan want to sneeze. But so what? The trio of pallets sitting against the wall, adjacent to the door, directly in front of the wall ADU had breached, brought a joyous smile to Jordan's face. Or more specifically, the 300 gold ingots sitting on those pallets did... Jordan turned to look at the rest of his crew, all of them except Shen, who was keeping watch back in the cabin, and Gregor, who was still making his way back from Miller's Crossing. Let's get it done, Jordan said, and the others nodded. Yanish pushed the cardboard box off his pallet before pushing it over to the gold. Three of Jordan's men broke the box open and took charges out, which they began planting in the mouth of the tunnel ADU had just dug. By the time Jordan, Yanish, and Tom, a deceptively soft-spoken guy Jordan had known since grade school, had the anti pallets fully loaded, the charges were in place and it was time to go. Tom pushed the first of the pallets into the tunnel, and the charge layers followed him. Then Janish. That just left Jordan and the last three charges. He wanted to place them himself. He picked them up off the floor where his guy had left them and made a circuit of ADU. He placed one of the charges on either side of its main engine block and the third at the top of its drill core just behind the grinding teeth. Then he stepped back and looked at the drill for a second. He wasn't sure why, but he said, Thanks, ADU. Then he turned and pushed his pallet of gold into the tunnel and started jogging. When he got halfway down the tunnel, he'd call Shen and have him order ADU to return. Then, after they were all the way out, they'd blow the charges and take out both ends of the tunnel and ADU, burn their cabin, and head to a distant beach on another planet with pretty much all the evidence destroyed. It was all coming together. ADU-7 received the order to return to origin from the customer interface unit and maneuvered to comply. It wasn't hard to retrace its route, as it had simply driven straight once its drill cone emerged into the air and then stopped. But when it re-entered the tunnel, its mineral sensors signaled an alert to ADU-7's primary access memory, volatile compound detected. Volatiles were potentially dangerous to workers and could potentially compromise ADU-7's ability to properly complete its assigned mission. Protocol required stopping when they were detected, an investigation to determine the extent of the danger. Acting in accordance with protocol, ADU-7 stopped halfway into the tunnel entrance and dispatched two of its repair drones. They skittered up to the top of ADU-7's jewel cone and located five distinct volatile locations. Investigation with their thermal and visual imagers showed that there were flat disks stuck in place on the tunnel's upper half and that each of the objects had red light on it. ADU-7 processed this and could not come up with a known correlation, so it directed the repair drones to attempt to remove them. They were able to succeed with little difficulty using their manipulator arms, and ADU-7 directed them to deposit the unknown objects into its part storage units for later analysis. But as one of the drones proceeded to do so, it detected another of the objects on ADU-7 itself, just behind the cutting portion of its drill cone. This continuing anomaly required several consecutive processing cycles to analyze, but ADU-7 could not come to a satisfactory determination. After an additional cycle, it directed that drone to take the latest anomalous object to one of its mineral analysis sensors. When the drone placed the object directly onto the mineral analysis sensor, the sensor immediately flagged a more detailed alert to the primary access memory. Direct contact allowed a much more thorough analysis than proximity alone, and the material was identified as man-made explosive. ADU-7 had to spend more cycles, more than had ever spent on a single task before, processing this new data. It had already completed drilling the programmed tunnel. Why would explosives be needed? It had no explanation, so ADU-7 went back through all its data again from the moment it had emerged from the tunnel and immediately found information it had not processed. In addition to the floodlights, ADU-7 had forward-looking cameras, and they were activated by the same breakers and commands that activated the lights. Mission parameters did not require ADU-7 to utilize or transmit images from the cameras, so it had not processed them, but the camera still recorded imagery. Now ADU-7 analyzed those recordings, and immediately several alerts were placed into primary access memory from half a dozen different subsystems and processes. Jordan emerged from the tunnel to find the rest of his crew all smiles. They were clapping each other on the back, and he immediately felt a flash of chagrin. Save the celebration till we're out of here, he said. One and all, his crew looked at him, and their smiles faded. Janusz's did more than that. His smile fled, replaced by a look of shock. Then he actually went pale. Boss, he said, his voice sounding ragged, like he was being strangled. You okay, Jordan started to say, but a shout from out front interrupted him. The door flung open and Shen dashed in, looking grave. There are lights out by the canyon entrance and I think I heard a helicopter. What in the hell? Gregor's on the way back. He's... Boss! Jordan looked back at Yanish, and he was pointing at the drill's customer interface unit. Jordan turned around to look at it and the bottom dropped out of his stomach. The customer interface unit had a text message written on its screen in a clear, bold font. You are in violation of Devison Robotics Company End-User License Agreement for Automated Drill Unit Model 18362. Section 4.2.5.5 You may not use this product for any purpose that violates any law, custom, or moral standard on New Auckland or any other planetary system anywhere in the universe. Failure to comply with this clause may incur civil and or criminal penalties. This unit has informed the appropriate authorities of this violation. Have a nice day. It was like being smacked across the face with a cricket bat. After all his planning, meticulous to the T, here it was. The thing that Jordan had missed. The thing that was going to get them all locked away for a good chunk of the rest of their lives. What? Yanish swallowed, then tried to speak again. What do we do? Just then came a crash from the front room and a shout of, ''Police!'' Jordan closed his eyes, hoping for a second that this was all just a bad dream. But the shout came again, from more than one voice this time. He opened his eyes back up and looked at Yanish, and he shook his head in apology. I guess we go to prison. Right, so not really a happy ending for the crew on this one, but it is a good ending for truth, justice, and the American way or rule of law, or whatever you want to call it. Um and you know, a little ironic. Uh, so I wrote this one at a workshop a little while back, um, obviously during the time of the Great Challenge. Um actually it was early twenty twenty. Um I was in Vegas for this science fiction workshop on how to write science fiction stories better. And uh, part of that workshop we went to uh I forget what it's called, this little area in the west side of Vegas with the where the spring that originally was the water supply to the to the to the city is located and there's a bit of a museum piece there and and uh a bunch of other you know little path you can walk through and things like that and uh one of the uh displays there was of uh discussing how they uh, installed in Lake Mead, uh, the the currently used wellhead that they use for the city's water supply now, and described the the process. And I'm an engineer, so I was like, "Oh man, this is awesome!" Because what they did is they took the, the wellhead, the concrete and steel and stuff, and that they wanted and the they sank it to the bottom of the um, bottom of the lake, installed it there, and then they you know miles away, they took board down and the board across with a, a drilling machine. Um, I drilled the tunnel for the water to flow from that wellhead to the, to the piping that would supply the city. And it was you know, a couple hundred feet down and several miles. And they had this itty-bitty little target, like just maybe a foot in diameter, um, painted on the wellhead where it was mounted in where it was buried into the the sand and the at the bottom of uh, Lake Mead and they did their uh engineering design and their guidance of the boring machine with such ridiculous precision that you know that they hit it like basically dead center after drilling down a couple hundred feet and across several miles um dead on and if they hadn't hit it dead on the whole thing wouldn't have worked right and it's like man really impressive uh calculations really impressive construction really impressive uh, detail and precision of how they did that and i walked away thinking man that was amazing and one of the assignments during that workshop was you got to write a story based on something you saw at that place that we went to I was like, well, I'm writing about drilling. And that's thus the uh, start of this story, which uh became the heist and all the other things that uh <laughs> went through it. Uh the other thing, the for the ending of it, I uh around that time was where a whole lot of a lot of the cancellation and social media stuff and Terms of terms of service and all that sort of thing, where people were being canked for some mostly illegitimate political reasons, but sometimes for legitimate ones, but mostly illegitimate. But citing back to the extremely vague terms of use that were put in place specifically, so they could get rid of people they didn't like. But that's neither there. It was you know I was thinking about all that that was going on at that time, and. I was like, oh, yeah, it'd be great if, in terms of service, would come back and bite these guys. So, yeah, that's how that came to be. So, a little irony, a little just fun with precision engineering, and I think it turned out pretty well. Hopefully, you do, too. If you did like it, you know what you need to do, right? You need to go out buy all my books from my like kingswood.com store. Where you can find all my stuff, an ebook and audiobook. The print stuff is still getting fixed because it's well down on my priority list of things to do. Um, if you want the print, go to all the other uh, retailers out there, uh, which you can get to through the, uh, the books to read link that I'm sharing right now there. That'll take you to the author page there where you can click on a title and you can pick which retailer you want to go to, and it's great. Obviously, the best way to go to get me the most money is coming straight to me. But, you know, it is what it is, however you want to play it. Um, The other thing that's going on, if you want to help out, is, of course, the Kickstarter is going on right now for uh, the 52 Stories in 2023 challenge that I am currently doing, of which I am finishing story number 14 this weekend. Uh, The first 10 are uh, bundled up in the collection that this Kickstarter is kicking, and then uh volume two will be the next campaign and then volume three volume four volume five and you see how that goes throughout the rest of this year uh the campaign for this one is going swimmingly uh we set a pretty low uh bar for funding just a to make it easy and b because i still have limited reach uh but we have more than doubled the initial goal and we've unlocked the first of the uh stretch goals for the campaign so We've got a little bit more than a week to go on it, so there's more to go. The uh, second second stretch goal is certainly well within reach if everybody who likes my stuff, and that means you, goes and supports it. So, by all means, go to michaelkeenswood.com slash 52N23V1, which you're seeing below me right now, and go and support that. Of course, don't forget to like this... Uh, This video, if you're watching the video or the podcast, if you're liking the podcast, subscribe to it, push the like button, share with all your buddies, tell everybody what great stuff we're doing around here, and come back next week. Next week will be story number 43. Number 43 is Drops in the Storm. And I think this one... I haven't looked at this one in a while. This is sort of a... I think this one is uh, more of a modern setting. If I remember right, it's an assassination kind of thing. i got to look at it again. It's been a while. But we'll be reading next week. It'll be a great story. You'll like it. Come back. We'll read it some more. Uh, so I didn't get very many streams done this week because I've been out of town doing other things. But this week, we will be moving forward. We will get back to our daily, as much as I can manage it, uh, Kickstart update streams. And we will also do Warship Wednesday again. Uh, I think we're going to go back to the Gene Flucky files and find a cool story about his adventures on USS Barb in World War II. At least that's the plan. So come on Wednesday. We'll do that. And that's, I think, all I've got for now. Uh, Thanks very much for tuning in. Hope you liked it. If you did, do all the things I already told you to do. Buy books and like and subscribe and share. And I'll talk to you next week. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted by Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyrighted Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.